Welcome to the Mapped Out Money Podcast, where we help you understand finance and manage your money so you can get on with living your adventure. You're listening to episode number eight. And this episode is sponsored by uh, the Mapped Out Money products page. That's right. So if you uh, aren't aware, um, we do uh, a combination of money coaching for one-on-one and also host regular group classes a couple of times a year, as well as have a a couple of small products that we're working on um, that can help you manage your money. And if you go to mappedoutmoney.com forward slash products, you can check those out and see if there's anything there that would be helpful for you uh, and your journey with your own personal finances. All right. So today we are probably doing what's going to be one of my favorite episodes. Are we? I hope it is. We're kind of talking about some of the essays from Mary Laura Philpott's book, I Miss You When I Blink. Well, and we, you actually did this as a Stuff We Like a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. You shared this book. It's been one that's been on your mind a lot here lately. And uh, yeah, I think it deserves its own episode to dive yeah. in and sort of talk about a few things. It's good. So this is actually on our list to be um, one of our future buddy reads because it's it's one I want to reread for sure. So we're going to start out. Um, I'm going to read just a portion of one of her essays. And so this essay is called, let me tell you. And for those of you who don't know, this is kind of like her memoir and essays. Yeah. So this essay is called, This Is Not My Cat. The context out of this essay is that she's house-sitting for somebody who has this cat, and so that kind of plays in to everything that's going on. Um, but it's her kind of trying to, to find herself and figure out where she is in life, where she wants to be in life, and you know how to get from point A to point B. So it's her kind of working through some of her own, um, I don't know, mindset obstacles, I guess. So I'll read the essay, or part of the essay. One afternoon, my friend came over and asked for my help writing an email. She wanted to ask her boss at the bookstore for a raise and a promotion. I've been subbing for someone on the late shift, and I like it, she said. I think I should be the assistant manager, and I always work evenings. But what about when school starts back up, I asked. Her son was the same age as mine and in middle school, which meant lots of homework. I hated homework more than anything. It made my already exhausted children desperately frustrated and turned what could have been relaxing family time at the end of the day into teeth-gnashing, paper-crumpling torture sessions. When John was home, it was bad enough. But if he was working late or traveling, the lack of his patient presence made everything worse. I tried to give pep talks. Check your work. Write neatly. Stop fiddling with your eraser. I love her pep talks. Sometimes I feel like I'm the person who gives these kinds of pep talks. But my attempts to help only stress the kids out more. We were often war-torn and raw by the time bedtime rolled around. I figured it was like this for everyone. Oh, I'm terrible at homework time, my friend said. I'm better at handling the mornings. So my husband and I split it up. He leaves for work early, and I stay at work late. He handles dinner time, and I do breakfast. It may seem crazy, but this conversation was a revelation for me. My friend explained it all so calmly. She hated homework, so she got a job at homework time and handed homework over to her husband. She and her family had all made an adjustment in their lives in order for things to be better for everyone. She didn't look at her new routine like a failure to make her old routine work. She looked at it like a sensible solution. No big deal. You can just change things, I thought. What a concept. One of the things that I immediately think of, because for for context for you listening, like 
Hannah has read this book and every, I don't even know, like it felt like every two or three pages, you were just stopping reading and be like, Nick, you got to, okay, let me well, read this to and you. And that was resisting the urge to just like read you the whole book. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember you reading this section and one of the things that stuck out to me immediately was this idea that we talk about a lot of, of one, like, oh, you can just actually like, you can just change stuff. Like I loved her comment of like, oh, you can just change things. Yep. And more importantly than that, you can just change things that are different than what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. So she's got these ideas in her head around, you know, oh, she's the mom. She has to be there at homework time or whatever. Uh, and the thought never even really crossed Mary Laura Philpott's mind that actually just because that's what a lot of people do doesn't mean that that's what we have to do. Yeah, absolutely. I I loved that too. And as silly as it sounds, I think for a lot of us, that is a novel idea. Yeah. I, you know, we live our life like we can't change things and we do have to do things by the status quo and the way that other people are doing them and the way that we're told we're supposed to do them. So I I did love how novel that seems, even though it's just a simple, simple concept. Yeah. And, you know, of course, with this being uh, a money podcast, <laughs> I always like I think about it from a financial you know aspect, from a yeah. budgeting aspect. Like, the reason that you and I are so big on budgeting is because it helps us get awareness around what we're currently doing. And then if we do want to make a change, it's very easy to make a change because yeah. we can see what we're doing and go like, oh, well, let's just shift that and change. Yep. Managing your money well gives you so much flexibility to change your mind and to change directions. Yeah. And um, gosh, we've just seen that over and over again from when we decided to to change, uh, you know, our living situation and move into the Airstream and when we decided to change jobs and I mean, so many other things when we decided to get our pets too, yeah. you know, and when you know, when you do have a budget and you know where your money's going, then you know how to make those changes. Yeah. Whereas if you kind of have your head in the sand when it comes to your finances, I mean, you don't even know where to start. Well, and you know, again, if, if you're, if you jumped in, if you're brand new to the podcast and you haven't listened to the episode on sunk costs, which is really our first episode we did, we talk about all that stuff, right? All the changes that we made where, you know, we moved multiple times early on in our marriage. Uh, we both have left the careers that we went to college for and we live in an RV. You know, those are all huge changes. And one, without the budget, we wouldn't have felt confident doing that. But also us being able to rely on each other and go like, hey, we can change things. Yeah. And uh, and even though somebody else thinks that's weird. Yeah. So I just, any any time... Uh, the conversation is anything about, hey, we can just, let's just do something different. Like, who mm -hmm. cares? Um, I'm all for that conversation. Totally. The other point I want to bring out here is, as far as the budget goes, when you don't know your money situation, I think a lot of us default to thinking that things are impossible. Yeah. And, you know, people around us do that same thing. And so it's just automatically assumed that you could never afford to do that. Um, you know, whatever that may be. Um, and kind of dream that you have in your head. So I, I think we've heard that over and over again. Even like when we bought our Airstream, we had lots of people say like, oh, I've just always wanted to buy an Airstream, but I could never yep. afford it. Yep. And it's like, well, what do you mean you couldn't afford it? Are you just assuming you can't afford it? Have you looked at where you're spending money? And if you might want to change where some of that money is going so that you could save up and buy an Airstream? Yeah. I like that this pushes back against that assumption too. No, I love that. And it makes me think of, uh, I used to be, you know, I've always been one for uh, motivational videos, <laughs> right, and, and podcasts and things like that. I've always kind of liked that kind of content. And in high school, I got really into parkour and free running. 
and I was watching this guy chase Armitage a lot. And uh, he did an Xbox commercial. This is so nuanced. Trust me, I'm going to make a point. Uh, <laughs> he did an Xbox commercial uh, where he did all these amazing flips and jumps and like, you know, roof dives and uh, kind of did some voiceover motivational hypey messaging. And one of the comments he said in that video that always sticks with me is uh, it's only impossible because you've been told it is. And I just, I really like that. And it speaks to exactly what you're saying here and yeah. sort of what she's getting at, I think, here in this book. Yeah. Okay. So now I want to skip just a few pages over in the book. And this essay, I'm actually going to read this in its entirety. Okay. And I, I just, I loved this. It, even just the name of this essay is great. Okay. So this is Sloths on a Waterbed. My friend Corrine couldn't wait to move into her new condo. The trouble was what to do with the spare room. We were in our early 30s, Corrine was newly single, and she'd already set up the master bedroom as hers. She could do anything she wanted with the second bedroom, but she was hung up on the idea that she was supposed to have a guest room. I want to put a desk in there and build some shelves, she said. She wanted to be able to leave work earlier on weeknights and stop going to her office on weekends. Plus, she'd been bookmarking chic home office designs for years. Do it, I said. Build your room. But then where would I put a guest bed? I asked if she anticipated having a lot of guests. She said no. Out-of-towners almost never came to visit. But doesn't everyone have a guest room? Isn't that what homeowners do? And what if she did have guests one day? Look at it like this, I said. Are you willing to live without your dream office, which you know you'd use every day, just so you can have a guest room sitting there unused most of the time? She built the office. If a guest decided to come through town, she could blow up a mattress or get them a hotel room. Arrangements could always be made. So that's the first little section of this essay. And I just love how it highlights the way that we tend to make decisions just because everybody oh else gosh. is making them. Yes. So that's kind of the intro to the essay, but we're going to keep going. I've come back to that conversation again and again. I thought about it when John and I started playing with the idea of moving to Tennessee. Nashville hadn't cured me. It didn't change me into someone else, but it did help me see myself and my life in a new way. So the context there is they had been living in Atlanta, and she she didn't have a midlife crisis, technically, because she's not in her 50s. But she just kind of had had this little minor crises of like like identity crisis yeah, and was like really struggling with just being in Atlanta and their life in Atlanta and kind of how they had ended up in the spot that they had ended up. She like had a work situation in Nashville, right? So she would go there periodically or something like that. Yeah, that I can't remember exactly what point that started, but she did. So she found herself in Nashville every now and again. Yeah. And so the, the previous essay that I read where she was house sitting she had found a house where she could go and stay for free while her kids were off at summer camp for a few weeks and was just kind of trying to go and like, you know, like reset her mind and kind of kind of thing. And she came back with this really strong desire to move to Nashville. So so that's kind of what we're getting into got is, it, it. Okay. is them working through that decision of whether or not they should move. So that's, that's, right. that's where we're getting. Yep. It helped me remember what it felt like to be me, just me, not lonely and traffic crazed me. It reminded me that I could change things about my daily existence to make it fit me better, which made me ponder whether there might be a daily existence that fit our whole family better. Shortly after my summer in Nashville, I got a call from the bookstore. They were looking to do some marketing projects, maybe start an online magazine. They offered me a job, the deal being that I'd do the bulk of the work from afar commuting up to Tennessee a couple of times a month for meetings or events. Okay, so there you go. There you go. Just answered that question. Being in Nashville again on a semi-regular basis improved my mental state considerably. 
I loved the way I spent my days there. I'd go into the store for a few hours, then have lunch or dinner with a friend or colleague, maybe go hear some music and do some quiet reading or writing. The city was full of literary and creative types, culturally curious people who shared my passions. The parents of kids my kids' ages were as likely to be novelists, actors, or drummers as doctors, lawyers, or accountants. The Jason Isbell song, Alabama Pines, was playing on the radio a lot then, and I always teared up at the line, no one gives a damn about the things I give a damn about. In Atlanta, I once scored a last-minute pair of tickets to a Midnight Brandy Carlisle concert at a bar. Lucking into a truly rare opportunity to see my musical hero in a small venue. John was out of town, and I called at least 10 friends, but no one wanted to go. Gosh, that's wild. (laughs) (laughs) I ended up going by myself and sitting among strangers. In Nashville, people gave a damn about the things that I gave a damn about. Um, I think Nick and I have felt this way. Um, We love Fairhope, Alabama. Yes. (laughs) If you've listened to us, you've probably heard us just like swoon over Fairhope. And we always feel that way when we go there. We're like, man, these people just feel like our people. Yeah. Maybe that's just wishful thinking. Maybe no, we just they, want they them to feel, be our people. They feel like the they feel like they care about the things that we care yeah. about. Totally. And it feels like I don't know. It almost feels like you're stepping into a different time when you get a fair hope. It does. And maybe maybe that's my like idealized tourist version of it, but we love it. So okay. Let's keep going. Of course, in Nashville, I was free of most of the pressures and hassles of everyday life I had back in Atlanta. I didn't have a house to take care of because I was always staying at a friend's place. Some people do need guest rooms. I didn't have to make dinner for anyone but myself. I wasn't needed at any school events. The mundanities of active parenthood were not part of my life there. I missed my family when I was in Nashville, though. I wanted to sit down with John at the end of the day and talk. I wanted to take the kids with me to see and do all the city had to offer. Nashville's biggest downside was that my three best people weren't there. But instead of thinking, I should go home to them, I thought, I should bring them here. Part of me felt like I couldn't leave Atlanta because we were rooted there. That's where so many of our friends lived, and I loved my friends. But the truth was that I hardly saw them. Atlanta was like Corrine's guest room, a space I was holding on to just in case it might get used for a certain purpose that, in fact, it was almost never used for. Corrine didn't have guests 99% of the time, and 99% of the time, my Atlanta friends were too busy with their own growing families and commitments to hang out. Then there were the practical considerations. The traffic in Nashville was nothing compared to Atlanta. You could zip from one place to another in 15 minutes. The houses cost less. The schools were just as good as the ones in Atlanta. We decided to go. John started looking for a job, and I started looking for a place for us to live. I swore to all my friends that the minute they wanted to do something fun, go on a trip, throw a birthday party, see a show, I'd hop in the car and be there in less than four hours. But spending day after day sitting in Atlanta, waiting for that life to turn into something it wasn't, didn't make sense anymore. There was no alternate life taking place in another universe. There was no time machine. We had just this one timeline, and it was ticking forward. So I, again, I mean, it's the same point that we've kind of already made, but I just love that. Like, there isn't an alternate timeline. This is our, this is our opportunity to, to build a life that, that we love. And not that it's all about doing what you like and what you want to do in the moment. It's so much more purposeful yeah. than that. 
But just just recognizing that sitting on the sidelines and living by default, like we don't we don't get another opportunity. No, not at all. And and if you're waking up every day and going like, man, I, I'm just like I'm just over this, you know. Yeah. And if you're like living for the weekends, like yes. if you just can't wait for the weekend to roll around. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the weekends. Even yeah. working for ourselves, I still love the weekends. There's just kind of a different pace. People are more relaxed, like whatever. Yeah. It's just feels slower, which is nice. Yeah. But it's not the feeling of like desperation for the weekend That's to right. get here because I'm miserable every day of the week. Yeah. It's not that at all. The other thing I like about this story is so often we make decisions based on a, a what-if scenario. And so, you know, we're like, well, I have to keep this because what if mm-hmm. I need it? I have to, you know, do this thing because what if? And the the bottom line is most of the time those what-if scenarios are so slim. And if you really played it out and you didn't have, in this case, a guest bedroom or, you know, it, you were in a different city or something like that, if you didn't have those things, when there's the time came up, there's a solution. It's yeah. not that big a deal. It's like she said, you blow up an air mattress, yep. you drive four hours to go hang out with your friends. Yep. You know, you can do those things if and when the well, situation comes And this up. came up with us for choosing RV size, right? Because we thought about that. Like, okay, we're going to be living in an RV and traveling around. But like, what if people come and visit us in locations? Do you know how often that happens over the last two years? Yeah. Yeah. I can count on one hand the amount of times that's happened. That is true. Um, and our latest renovation that we did yep. where um, we we just stopped worrying about the, the yeah. table being able to like make a bed, make a bed. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So we cut the size of our table down a lot. And yep. if you're not familiar with campers, most of the, like, the dining tables are pretty big. Yeah, and, and they, they're they'll drop and then make a bed. Yep. Yeah, so you can make a pretty big bed area. So we just got rid of all that because we said, listen, nobody comes and visits us anyways. When they do, like with my parents, for example, they're getting they a hotel. They don't the They're not yeah. staying at the Airstream with us. Yep. And for the, for the rare occasion that someone would come and want to camp with us, at the end of the day, we can do one night in the truck bed mm-hmm. or we can get our tent out and old school camp, right? It's, it's, there's a solution. And 99% of the time when it's just you and me, like let's, let's make it used, you know, for what we actually want to use it for. Yeah. The other, I'm just talking about like, you know, there's, there's no alternate timeline coming back to that idea. The other time that we've kind of faced that was when we were, First, thinking about um, financial independence and the path that a lot of people go where they forego anything. Yeah, I mean, they cut their living expenses down to 50 or 60 percent, you know, so that they can save half of their income and, uh, you know, basically try to just sprint towards retirement, which even on a conservative path at, you know, even at that rates, you're talking about. For us, it was still looking like we were running the math and it was still going to be like at least 12 to 15 years yeah. working those jobs. And listen, if that's the path you choose, that's, that's cool. fine. You just have to figure out like how badly do you want out of that job? Yeah. And for us, I wasn't willing to trade the 15 years yeah. in that job. Yeah, agreed. And and that's when we when we thought about making the transition to the Airstream too. You know, you can always play the game of well, should we not do that and stay in these jobs that we don't like so we don't take this initial pay cut and we can keep saving up more money and, you know, whatever. And we had that moment where we stepped back and went, you know, hypothetically, we're young. We still have a long time to live. But at the end of the day, none of us know that for sure. 
And, um, you know, we don't know how much time we have with our family. We don't know how much time we have with anybody. Everything's at stake. So, you know, we just made that decision of we we want to be intentional about what we're doing today. And we want to build a life that we're not dying to retire from. And we want to build a life where we have a flex the flexibility to be there for the people that we love when we need to and when we want to. And um, so we just really, that's kind of when we got clear on those values and how we could get those now and not 15 years from now. That's right. Yeah, I think, you know, I think most people have a tendency to uh, draw hard lines in the sand. And it's always like this either or dichotomy decision, right? Mm -hmm. So like either you're the type of person who lives in the moment, you're not thinking about anything in the future, right? It's what do I want to do today? Mm -hmm. And those people tend to spend way too much money, right? Because Mm -hmm. they're just living in the moment. On the flip side, we got people who like are going to penny pinch and save every single dollar ever, never enjoy the moment, and only live for 40 years from now. And I just think both are wrong. Yeah. Like, let's find a happy medium here. I agree. And that that ties into another one of the big takeaways that I had from this book overall. And that was the idea of embracing and yeah. that you can have, um, you know, both things can coexist at the same time. You don't have to pick either or. Yep. Um, so you can be a person who is responsible and is wise with your money and you value yes. the current moment and, and investing in that too. Yep. Uh, I like that. I like that idea. And I think we'll I think we'll circle back around to talk more about that yeah. in a second. But for now, we'll get back to the book. I guess it's crazy that I thought people would embrace our choice, but it had been such a hard decision and I was proud of it. It had taken so long for me to accept that two things I believed, I love my friends here so much and I don't want to live here anymore, could coexist. To reconcile two contradictory ideas, you have to find a way for one of them to win out, to subjugate one to the other. It drove me nuts that I couldn't do that with this decision. I loved my Atlanta people. And I wanted to leave Atlanta. Both. To make a decision, I had to acknowledge that neither was more true than the other and that my way forward wouldn't negate either truth. I could love my friends even as I made my decision to go. And when I read that, oh my gosh, I have this like underlined so many times in this book because that put into words how I felt when I left PT. And so I still get people who ask me like, well, do you miss physical therapy and do you miss whatever? And, and people who will say, what do you do now that you don't do physical therapy? Just like hanging out, you know, what do you do? <laughs> and that feeling of, I love working with people and I love helping people. And I really did love my patients. Yeah. And at the same time, I didn't want to be a physical therapist. And so reconciling both of those and, and embracing the fact that, like, yes, I am trained as a physical therapist. I did work as a physical therapist. And now I do lots of other things. But those are both, both of those are part of who I am and part of who I'm growing into. And I don't have to to leave or abandon one. You know, they can, they can both, all of that can be part of my story. Yeah, I think... I think that's so true. And, you know, we've talked a lot about identity and we still, we talk about it all the time, you know, me and you. And I think people, this is the problem when you wrap your identity up in one singular aspect of yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I'm an athlete or I'm a musician or I'm a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer or a physical therapist or whatever. Yeah. When you wrap your identity up in this singular thing, 
it does a disservice because that thing probably isn't going to last forever. We're humans, things change, life changes. And your identity is holistic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's all of those things that add up that make you who you are. Um, yeah, no, I, I love this because I, I faced a similar, you know, obviously decision leaving engineering, but not nearly, I don't think, to the level that you dealt with it on. One, because I didn't have as many years invested. Uh, and two... It wasn't as hard, like, I really didn't like engineering, you know, and so it felt easier in some ways, but um, I did feel bad leaving my team, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I love the guys on that team, and I I didn't, you know, I didn't want to leave them in a bad spot, and I I tried to do everything I could to, you know, make that transition easy, Uh, but I didn't want it to, to, I didn't want to, you know, make them feel like I hate this career, I hate this job, I hate you. Um, it just wasn't for me. Yeah. And that's part of what I think made the physical therapy thing really hard, too, was, you know, as a as a class uh, with physical therapy school, you move through as a cohort. Yeah. So I had a class of around 30 people. We all took the exact same classes at the exact same time. And we went through together. Yeah, for you live with these people for three years. years. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, which I mean, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's only three years. But at the at the time you feel you're seeing each other every day. You know, I've seen them more than I was seeing you. And um, so I am, I'm, I'm watching these people that I admire and that I really like and think so highly of, and they're thriving in physical therapy and are just going after it with everything they have. And I'm feeling this pool like, I just, I, this doesn't feel the way I thought it would feel. Like I'm, I'm not, it's it's not feeling like the right thing for me, but how can it be the right thing for them and not the right thing for me? And if I say it's not the right thing for me, how can I do that without insulting what they're doing? Because I do think so highly of what they're doing. And I yeah. saw lots of my friends who were so good and so passionate. Yeah, about you don't want to disparage the profession or, yeah. or, you know, uh, but you also don't want to feel like a failure either. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's just hard. I mean, anytime we face a decision like that, it's hard to figure out how to navigate it gracefully. Yeah. No, I love I love the believe in and concept. Um, and I think with the big decisions like this, moving especially, but there, there's so many other decisions like this that... Um, is tough and mm-hmm. not everybody's going to understand it. And so believing that both things can be true and that's okay is important. Yeah, it's about to get good, y'all. So we're going back to the book. After wrestling through this dilemma, I wanted everyone to share my pride in it. Talk about naive. Telling people we were leaving was one of the hardest things about moving. I wanted to say, I'm doing something that you're not going to like, but I love you. And it's important to me that you cheer me on as I do it, if you possibly can. I never verbalized that, though. Instead, I blurted it out. So we're going to do it. We're going to take a trip up there and look for a house, I told a dear friend. Couldn't you just join a tennis team, she asked, (laughs) half-joking. My friend knew I needed a fresh start. She just wished it could be of a different kind. She knew I'd found something in Nashville life that I didn't have in Atlanta. I'm going away is difficult for people to hear because it sounds like I'm going away from you. It's hard to sound happy for someone who is leaving you. When a beloved bookseller quit working at the store recently to go to grad school, we presented her with a cake that read, F you, Lindsay, in icing. Back when I worked in consulting, I once said no to a coworker when she told me she was having a baby. I didn't mean, oh no, your baby is terrible. I meant, oh no, we won't get to go to happy hour after work anymore. People said other things too. 
how could you do this to your kids? I got that one a couple of times, and it hit me in the gut. Of course, I was worried about how the move would affect our children. If all those moves during my own childhood had turned me into someone who needed a fresh start every few years, would moving my children now do the same thing to them? Would they ever forgive us for taking them away from their childhood home and friends? Then again, I reminded myself, all we were doing was moving. It's not that big of a deal. We weren't sending our kids to go live on the moon. We were going, all together, three and a half hours up the road to a perfectly civilized place, a wonderful place, really, where the children would be fed and clothed and educated just as they always had been. They'd have to adjust to some change, yes, but they might even like Nashville better. And one move during childhood, especially in the age of the internet, where it's infinitely easier to keep up with people, probably wouldn't have the same effect as half a dozen moves, would it? We also heard, ugh, It's impossible to spell the actual sound I mean here. It's more guttural than ugh. Sort of a combination of ugh and yuck. But you'd know it if you heard it. It's hardly more than a forceful exhale, really. A verbal eye roll. It conveys sentiments like, oh, come on, that's stupid. Or, who do you think you are? It's dismissive, but there's also an undertone of bitterness to it. I understand this one, too. Social scientists call it crab mentality. Say there are a bunch of crabs at the bottom of a bucket, and one crab starts trying to crawl out. Instead of giving that crab a boost, the others grab at him with their pinchers, pulling him back into the bucket. If they're going to be in the bucket, they want everyone to be in the bucket. I'd change the crabs in a bucket analogy to make it a bit gentler, though. Some of the people who looked askance at our plans were dear to us. I can't think of them as crabs. They were surprised and perhaps hurt, and maybe some of them a little unsure about their own choices. It's that confirmation bias thing again. People want to believe the choices they've made about where and how they live are right. And sometimes the easiest way to do that is by deciding that all other choices are wrong. If we were choosing to leave life in Atlanta behind, did that mean we thought everyone who stayed was making the wrong choice? No but it's typical for the human brain to react that way. So I've got to go with some analogy that's a little more endearing than crabs. Let's say sloths. I love sloths. Okay, so before I read the rest of the essay, I just, I love that. I think it's so true. It's so true. It's so true. I mean, we're guilty of it, you know? Like when you hear about somebody doing doing something different and your, your first gut reaction is like, what does that say about me? Yep. What does that mean about my yep. life? Yep. Um, so I think we can all relate to that. And I think we've probably all been on both ends of that equation. Well, you know, it reminds me, we've had someone in our life going back to, uh, you know, the Fairhope example. We love Fairhope. We had someone recently who has visited Fairhope not that long ago and driven through it. And I guess spent some time there and was like, I just don't see what all the hype's about. I don't get it. You know, yeah. and they're kind of disparaging it a little bit. And Hey, that's cool. Like yeah. you may not like that's what we fine. like. That is one hundred percent cool. But it's also you have to recognize that just because they feel that way, it doesn't diminish how much you like something or how much you want to do something or your choice to pursue it. That's right. And, you know, at the end of the day you have to recognize maybe they really don't like that thing. Maybe they're questioning a little bit where they decided to live and build their life. Yep. And uh, maybe it's threatening to maybe look at somebody and think. Maybe your move yeah. is, is shining a light on the fact that they are living their life by default or something like that. Or maybe they just legitimately, maybe their Atlanta, you know, maybe Atlanta is their Nashville yeah. in this scenario. Yeah. So you never know. And I think that's the important thing to recognize is we're all different. 
all of our lives are different. Our choices are different, and that's okay. As my meemaw would say, different strokes for different folks, y'all. That's right. That's right. Okay, so let's get back to the sloths. Sloths are slow-moving. Inertia is their jam. Often in a tight group of friends, an unspoken accord congeals over time. An agreement that not only are we all in this life together, but we must also do everything together. It can make a reasonable move look radical simply because it veers away from the group. I'd amend the bucket part of the analogy too. Our life in Atlanta wasn't a bucket. We weren't trapped. I felt trapped, but that was a function of my own mind. The way you can feel claustrophobic sitting in a wide open room if you don't want to be in it. I no longer wanted to be there, but I wasn't being held anywhere against my will. And it was no less objectively lovely a place just because I wanted out. So let's not say the sloths are in a bucket. Let's say they're on a waterbed. A big, comfortable waterbed that's easy to sink into and hard to get up from. I remember climbing onto my friend Jen's mom's waterbed when we were 10 years old. When we were ready to climb off, we couldn't steady our hands and knees, and the waves rolling within the mattress kept knocking us back down. We snorted and giggled, but there was panic in our laughter, too. I told myself my friendships were like snuggly sloths on a waterbed, and I was the weird sloth who wanted off, and all of this was normal. It's not easy to be a people pleaser who chooses to do something that doesn't please people, especially if you've got that little kid inside your head wanting to be praised and told she's the best. But sometimes you have to do the thing you have to do, even if it makes people mad. Even if it makes you feel like you've lost the support of people you want in your corner. Even if it feels like some people are giving you a big fat F instead of an A+. So again, this is one of those parts that I just like circled and underlined and highlighted. Um, I I am such a people pleaser. To my core. In the personality test of dogs, I'm the golden retriever. Um, And I've struggled with that. And so when we've made decisions that weren't bad, there was nothing morally bad about them. And people pushed back on us. It was hard for me to keep going with them, even though it was what I wanted to do. I knew it was what I wanted to do. But there was part of me that started to feel like, well, maybe this is the wrong thing to do. And so I feel like... In our in our decisions that we've had so far in our life that have looked a little odd and different to certain people and that certain people have pushed back on, this just totally, totally encapsulated that experience like perfectly for me and made me realize that, you know, it's not our decision wasn't right or wrong. It was just a decision. And that as as Christians, part of what I especially had to wrestle through was like, God wasn't limited to using me as a physical therapist. Yeah, God can only use you as a physical therapist, yeah. and that is it. That's what I had in my mind for a long time. Yeah. And but I don't I didn't know that. I didn't realize it. And then like looking back at some of the turmoil that I felt in making different decisions, I, I thought how silly that I would limit God like that and act like he can only use me if I'm if I'm a physical therapist and what if what if it is morally wrong yeah. of me to change careers and jobs um and again I just think that's silly I at the end of the day I think you know if we have the the foundational core things right I think God can use whatever job we choose to pursue yes and you know the the thing that I liked about this last little section of th- this idea of a waterbed, I think, is perfect. Like she kills it with this analogy because 
that is that's what most people I think don't make decisions for. I, I don't think it's a crab in a bucket. I like to be a little more uh, optimistic that I don't think it's the crabs. Yeah, I, I think I agree. most people aren't trying to actively tear you down. That that's a rare minority, of especially in our life. Yeah, people yeah. weren't trying to be mean. No, it's just comfort. Yeah, and so and that's what leads to most inaction, right? Whether it's in your finances, your health, your career your walk with the Lord, it's whatever, it, it's comfort. Mm-hmm. Doing the same thing that you're currently doing and staying on the waterbed is easy. It's comfortable. It's what's expected. Yep. And and it pleases everybody. And so it's like, meh, I'll still, I'll ah, snuggle up on the waterbed. That's yeah. all right, you know? Yep. The other, the other thing that we kind of struggled with was some of the people that pushed back on us, if if they had seen a stranger on Instagram doing the same thing that we were doing, yep. they would have thought it was super cool. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. yeah. And so for a long time, I couldn't I couldn't like reconcile that. I was like, I, I just don't get it. I don't understand. Like, why are yeah. you acting like we're doing something wrong, but you would praise it if somebody else was doing it? Yeah. And was it Gabby Reese that I told you was talking about that? I think so. Yeah. And she, no, no, no. Um, I, I think it was in another book I've been reading, okay. I think. But they were oh, talking. The, the Girl for the Job book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. And they were talking about how when you see things from afar, you can admire it and think it's really cool. Yep. But when it's somebody that's close to you, it shakes your waterbed. Totally. Right? Yep. So it it creates some waves in your life where you start to feel uncomfortable and and you might even be scared of of where you're feeling led to to make changes and whatever. And so you can kind of take that out on the people that are close to you that are making whatever decision they're making. Yeah. Um so that that made a lot of sense to me. And this, we had experienced that. Too. This isn't a perfect analogy that I'm about to just kind of try and make up on this podcast. Uh but for some reason the way you just said that reminded me of like kind of like when you're playing a board game. Mm-hmm. Like we're playing Seven Wonders or Ticket to Ride might be even a better example. Uh where we're both just trying to do the best thing for our life, mm-hmm. right? We're not. I don't think we're actively normally trying to like kill the other person. Uh, in board games, it's a little more like that than regular life. But the idea is we're just both kind of doing our thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm anticipating that you're just going to keep doing your thing over here. And all of a sudden, you like go over here, which is like kind of shakes my plan. Yeah. You know, kind of affects me. Yeah. And uh, And it may not even be a bad thing for me it just is uh, unexpected yeah and it causes me to have to then rethink my own situation which can cause some resentment towards you yeah um as humans we don't always respond the best to that totally that, yeah. yeah that's right yep okay so i'll wrap us up um with the end of this essay there was one other thing people said a lot how do you do it john heard this less than i did but i heard it many many times always in hushed tones, in conversations that began with someone pulling me aside like they were about to ask me for the number of my weed dealer. (laughs) These friends and acquaintances were the ones who got giddy when they found out what we were doing. I've been thinking about moving to fill in the blank for years, they'd say, or we talk about it all the time. How did you finally decide to go? And was it hard to sell your house? As it turns out, change appeals to lots of people. Tell me, they'd ask, do you think I could do it too? Build your room, I always said. So that ties back into the whole, you know, guest room yep. example from the first essay. But we've touched on a lot of points while we're reading through this. And I think that they all, I think they ring true for most people's lives. I think so too. I think so too. And, you know, I guess as, as we start sort of nearing the end of the show, if if we could maybe encourage you listening to do something, it would be that, right? It would be the same the same words there to build your room, whatever it is that listening to this has conjured up in your mind. 
And, you know, what's what's really cool is when you can start seeing some people in your life doing some stuff like this um, before we really hit the road uh, and really even sort of having Airstream ideas. Um, one of my best friends growing up, Nathan, and uh, and his wife moved out to L.A. and from Tennessee. And that was really the first person I knew from my hometown that went away, away, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, and I think that was on some level, even though I, maybe I didn't even recognize it at the time, really inspiring to me to go like, Hey, you can, like, you can just change, Yeah, you know, like, Oh, it doesn't make sense for what he wants to do with his life right now. So he's going to move to LA. Yep. Cool. You know? Um, and when you can start recognizing other people doing that and not using it as like a, uh, but you know, actually taking it as inspiration to go find your LA or your Nashville or your office instead of a guest bedroom. Yep. And I don't want to give too much away. Um, I was super excited about this episode, but I'm also super excited about next week's episode. I think it's going to tie in really well. Yeah. We're going to keep building on this because, you know, when you make changes, inherently that means you're going to be a noob at something. That's right. So our next episode is going to be about embracing being a noob. And Ooh, that's a subject we both love, not because we've mastered it, but because it's something that we're continually trying to do a better job of. Yep. So I think we're going to nerd out over that conversation, I think so. too. I think so. Well, before we wrap up, of course, we need to do the stuff, stuff we, we like. like. Okay, so for today's uh, Stuff We Like, I'm going to share a book I just finished called The Vision Driven Leader by Michael Hyatt. Now, uh, the book is catered a little bit more towards the businessy side, so, um, but or really just, I would say, leaders in general. So if you're a leader at uh, at your company or within your company or you own a, own a company, it's really, like, good for you. Um, but if you're in any kind of leadership position, I think it's extremely important. And honestly, you could maybe even extrapolate it out to normal life. Here's the premise of the book. The premise of the book is simple. You have to know where you're going in order to get there. My favorite quote that I keep coming back to over and over again, which I think perfectly aligns with everything we've talked about in this episode, is you wouldn't drift to a place you would have chosen. So if you're just drifting along in life, if you're living by default, if you're laying around on the waterbed, you're never going to end up in a place by doing that strategy that if you could just pick yeah you're you know going to get you're not going to magically magically you're not going to magically wake up in your dream life yeah. by drifting so anyways the, the book has been really good for me right now it's very timely because i've been thinking a lot about our future and our life and our business and where we want to go and what we want to do and uh, it's been really really helpful both on the sort of encouraging vision side, but also on like the super tactical, here's the questions you should ask yourself. Here's what you need to answer, you know, kind of a step-by-step, uh, which is kind of my favorite type of books, right? Give me give me the why and the how. Uh, yeah. I want both. Yeah. So I'm um, big fan. And not, I don't want to, you know, this could go super deep and I'm not, I'm not trying to, to do that. But when you say dream life, I do want to point out that we say that in heavy quotations and that, you know, in our culture where, so many things are about doing what feels good, um, just purely for our own sake. Like that's not the angle that we're coming at things from. And that's not the angle that we're talking about them from. Um, it's, it's that like being in relationship with the Lord and letting him 
guide your life and being open to how he can use your life in lots of ways and how you can best uh, use your strengths to glorify him and figuring out what that life looks like for you. Um, and and I do think that means that that we have a lot of joy in life. Not that our life is always happy or perfect or looks like Instagram or whatever. That's not what we're saying, uh, but that it is joy-filled because, because of the Lord. So I do want to point that out just because those things can be construed differently. Yes, they and, can. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're humans. That's how that's yeah. how human brains work. So to wrap up today's episode, we'll quickly hit the takeaways again. Uh, we love this book. It's uh, I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura, Mary Laura Philpot. And uh, we tie really bow, liked... Tie a bow on those kind of the main takeaways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the main takeaways we had um, from these essays were... Uh, you can just change things. It's in your power. You can literally just change something. Uh, the second one was uh, recognize that we all have like confirmation bias of what you're supposed to do, whether it's having a guest room, staying in a certain city, uh, or whatever. Well, and just the fact that we're all of us as humans, we're all looking for confirmation that our decisions in life have been. That's right. right. That's maybe a better way to say it. Like, oh, the decisions we made up to this point, those are good. Yeah. Uh, takeaway number three was to believe in and two seemingly opposing ideas can actually sometimes and oftentimes both be true mm -hmm. and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And then the last one was, uh, you know, just to try your best to not be a people pleaser, right? And recognize that just because they want to hang out on that waterbed, maybe you want to go find a different waterbed and yeah, hang out don't on. Don't let being a people pleaser keep you from chasing after the things that that you feel like you need to go after. Yeah. Yep. So that's it for today, you guys. Uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. We're really excited about next week's episode, uh, which is going to be all about embracing being a noob uh, in all aspects of your life, uh, especially with your finances. So as always, really appreciate you and hope to see you next time. See you later.